Hello and welcome to Pop Cult Podcast, a show about movies, television, comics, etc. Now here is your host, Seth Harris. So we recently did something that uh, Ariana has stated as was insane, I think was the word you used. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it was a pretty big deal. We, uh, and it's not something we did like just spur of the moment. I would say about a year ago was where we first started taking this idea very seriously. And then we did it. And we have m- moved, hopefully permanently, uh, to the Netherlands from the United States. And so we're just going to record a bit, just kind of talking about why we did it and how we're feeling about it. Yeah. Because it's one of those where we know that we are not 100% in control of whether we stay here or not. There's so many factors that go into play. But we just thought staying in the United States is just not a viable solution, especially staying in Tennessee, which is where we came from. Because uh, things are getting really bad. If you're not from the States or you're not from the southern part of the United States, it's really, really bad. <laughs> uh, and it doesn't appear to be getting better anytime soon. It just seems that the divisions are becoming more and more clear and that it's going to lead to something bad. I don't know what that bad thing will be. Yeah. Uh, but I don't... Whatever. It's also one of those things that you don't know like if it's going to show up within a few months or will it show up within a few years there's just like, a constant it's the tension seesaw motion of like there will never be balance there will always be speculation of when your life will end and the peace is gone so like one of the main reasons we picked the netherlands uh, was that we have a friend that already lives here and has lived here since she was like a child yes so if we were going to move somewhere. We were probably going to move somewhere where we knew people if it was going to be outside of the United States. Yeah. Just so you at least have that person with some knowledge of the culture and the community and the way things operate. Uh, and also the Netherlands is much more progressive in a lot of their domestic policies. Yes. I haven't noticed homeless people here. We're not in Amsterdam. We're in a city outside of Amsterdam. Uh, and, I mean, I haven't noticed homeless people. They very well could be around, and I just haven't seen them. Uh, but it certainly seems that everyone here is doing okay. That's not yeah. a ton of rich people. We were at an event. Uh, also, we went to an event, which is a big deal. Yes. Which we wouldn't have done in the States. Uh, the vaccination rates here in the Netherlands are far higher than Tennessee. <coughs> um, and so... The uh, you just feel a lot safer here because it seems as though COVID was taken a lot more seriously, especially getting vaccinated. I know there's some pushback from people about the uh, European Union digital COVID passports. Yeah, and it doesn't sound like they're upset about the vaccine, but they're angry about like having to prove that they're vaccinated if they want to go to a restaurant museum. But at the same time, I'm like, it, it seems to be helping. It's they're averaging maybe three or four deaths a day. In the Netherlands, with cases a day, like 1,500 or lower. And then you look at just Tennessee, you know, I I think Friday, 64 deaths and like 3,000 plus new cases. So there's a very marked difference between these two cultures. Um, It's definitely overwhelming. And I think we've gone through like a lot of emotions as a result of the move because... You're you're changing the geography that you're used to. Yeah. The food, the culture, the language. Thankfully, everyone here does speak, like, English very well. 
Uh, what do you think so far? Um, it's been good. I think today <coughs> is one of those days that I had to take kind of like off the stay home. Um, yesterday for two days straight, we went through kind of like their fair that they were having during the weekend. And, um, I got overwhelmed when I realized how many people I was around and I wanted to go back to the house where it was safe. <laughs> um, thankfully, like my friend and her husband have been nothing but welcoming. They were asking if there was anything that we particularly needed. Then I also have to remind myself that we do have <coughs> like um, time to find jobs and a place to live. It's just the idea of like, it's really hard to remove yourself <coughs> from like hustle culture of sorts and um the first day like we were here we were, like we were both bawling yeah <laughs> it was, was like, well it, like i didn't sleep very well on the plane ride over which was a bad idea because it's what a 10 hour plane ride yeah I think, and you're shifting time zones yes but like a few days like a day or two in i felt a lot better yeah but i mean there's definitely that oh i hope we get to stay but there's that thing of, well, you need a residency permit. Well, to get a residency permit, it's not clear-cut whether you need the job first. But to get a job, they probably lean more towards people with residency permits because yes. it makes sense. Like, well, I don't want to hire someone who's only going to be here for, like, one to three months. Yeah. Uh, and so that's the, just the tricky part. And so that's the part that makes us a little, you know, worried is, you know, what if the end of December gets here and nothing's worked out well then we are gonna have to leave the netherlands where we'll go next i have no idea um but it's it is a beautiful location oh yeah there's been plenty i have had to sort of force myself to not look at my feet so much when i walk this is a very like <coughs> walkable location oh, yeah. like you can uh the grocery store is 10 minutes away uh walking wise um and everybody here rides bikes. There's not also one of the culture shocks that I had was driving from the airport to here was how few cars there were versus our last two days in Nashville where it was just jam-packed with cars everywhere. And that is something that my head cannot wrap around itself and how it's insane to me to think on how to them like walking biking and public transportation is what you use <coughs> yeah it's bikes certainly have the right-of-way here uh and we've both have bought bicycles and are learning to ride them with the confidence that you need uh for some of us we hadn't ridden a bike since we were eight years old and that it showed me <laughs> it showed when we got on the bike for the first time i but, mean like and i said it like it wasn't oh you fully was, accept it yes yeah i'm fully accepting to it it was like and i told seth that but it's this weird thing of him and everyone else is like oh it'll be fine i'm like no it's been when i saw her finally <laughs> ride a bike for the first time and she had like zero control over it and just kept like veering off in one direction it did boost my confidence, I'm going to say. Because last time I had ridden but, a bike, I was like know, 25. That's what you really want to hear your husband say multiple times to multiple uh, different people. <laughs> but, like, she's getting much better at it. Like, every morning we're trying to get out to a park that's walking distance from where we're staying. And just get on the bikes. There's not a lot of people around. 
you know, I will admit I'm worried about riding a bike out on, you know, a street with traffic because that's a whole different thing for me and for both of us. We're used to a culture where, oh, if you're riding a bike and there's a car, you just have to be wary of the car. And here that's not necessarily the case. Uh, so we'll probably like set small goals like, you know, oh, let's ride the bike to the grocery store. Yes. Because it's, you know, a five, four minute bike ride from where we're staying right now. And do it early in the morning so there's not, like, a ton of vehicles. Riding to, like, our friend's house, it would take, you know... Nine minutes. <clears throat> nine minutes on bike when it's, like, a 28-minute walk. Yeah. That would be great. But I'm like, I, I mean, I might try to ride, but I don't know if I'm going to ride the whole way because there are some busier intersections. Yes. <clears throat> and if I'm riding, you know, during a heavily trafficked time of day, ugh, you know what? I think I'd rather walk the bike on the sidewalk for a, few, a bit instead of, you know take some of those intersections when I don't feel 100% confident in my control of the bike. Um, what have you thought of the food here so far? Because I know we both have had some uh, interesting thoughts about that. It's, okay. So the food here so far has not made me sick at all. And, and you're talking like they fry a lot of stuff. Yes, they fry a lot of stuff, but it never feels gross. Yeah, ne you never feel weighed down. Yeah. And we were talking about, like, right before we left um, the States, we would, like, get fast food. Because we certainly weren't going to go sit in inside a restaurant. Yes. And sometimes, like, often, I would just get these horrible feelings in my stomach after. Because, you know, it's so greasy and oily. And you would just feel gross. And here we ordered, it was a place called Chicken Palace. And we got, like, nuggets and fries. It was typical fast food. Did not feel bloated, gross. We felt full when we were done. But we didn't have all those, like, negative feelings. I've also yeah. noticed the soda here does not have an aftertaste. Like, the corn syrup-based soda in um, the States, you drink it and you're, like, have this film in your mouth. And here, there's no corn syrup in it. It tastes fine. It tastes good. And you taste it and then it's gone. And you don't taste it anymore. And I thought, that's pretty interesting. <clears throat> um, we've tried uh, this weekend, because there was a lot of, like, it was a big cultural event. They had uh, a lot of food stands, so we got to try, and depending on the region, it's patat or frit. Here it's frit. Frit. Uh, so we got to try frit. Uh, we did not do frit with the frit sauce. Uh, we did frit with ketchup. I did feel like it was a lot of sauce. They like, put a lot of ketchup in there. And that's what that's why I'm like, I really don't like this overly saucy stuff. Uh, but the fries are really good. Yeah. Um, we tried oily bolen, oily balls, yes. which are just basically exactly what they sound like. It's fried dough <laughs> in ball shape, and then it has powdered sugar on it. There's a variation with raisins. Here they love to put raisins in pastries. Ironically, I, I don't like raisins, so I'm always going to go with the raisinless option. And it was really good. It's yeah. a simple treat. Uh, <clears throat> and again, you think a ball of fried dough with powdered sugar on it. Oh, you're going to feel like trash after that. Nope. Felt great. <laughs> like, it did not feel like it was greasy or soaked in the oil. It was clearly, like, fried in oil. And I'm just wondering, like, if it's the kind of... I think they use, like, a lot of sunflower oil here. Yeah. And that may be the difference... Because I think they use a lot of canola and vegetable oil in the States. Mm -hmm. And that stuff, I guess, is worse. Um, and then I tried kibling, which is simply just like fried pieces of whitefish, usually cod. Yes. And I know you tried some, and it was like 
so good and so fresh. Yes. It, you could tell this was fish had if it had been frozen, it was not like flash frozen or anything like that. Probably caught within the day <coughs> and then fried and prepared, and it was really good. Uh, and so yeah, we're looking forward to trying more foods like that. We tried uh, some local pizza, and I know the Netherlands is not known for pizza, but it, you can tell that the influence of Italy is is felt in the pizza we got because it was like a a wood fire pizza, not the sort of bready crust you're used to yeah. in the states, just that kind of thin uh, dough. I am very fascinated with and want to try some of the American uh, chains that are present here in uh, the Netherlands. Because just in our area, walking distance from where we're staying, there's a McDonald's, a Papa John's, a Subway, and a Dunkin'. Yeah. And I am absolutely fascinated as to how they could market these foods here. Because they cannot be the same recipes they use in the States. No. I don't, like, that just isn't going to work. Uh but yeah, I mean, I think we're we're really enjoying the Netherlands. No matter what happens, we will have loved our time here, whether it's a, a short stay or a longer stay. Uh, there's a lot to still learn and and figure out. I know we still haven't even taken advantage of the public transit stuff yet, which hopefully this week we'll be getting some chip carts and we'll be able to uh, to use the buses and trains and maybe go a little further out from where we're at. Uh, but yeah, that's how things are going so far. I think we're much happier being here as we see more news from the states that seems to have like mass murders every day and mass shootings. Yeah, a political system that's completely broken. But uh, yeah, we may do another one of these a, a month or two from now just to check in to talk about how things are going. Well, we saw the new James Wan movie, and it was quite an insidious picture. We are going to review his newest film, Malignant. I just want to say I do not support that pun. Two puns. There were two puns. puns, (laughs) Like, introduction. I couldn't figure out how to put Aquaman in the title, but... Uh, so... Aquaman, you happy to see me? Some weird shit Uh, like that. So... I should have said something like, oh, he conjured up a new insidious movie. Um, so, I would not say either of us is, like, a huge James Wan fan. We don't necessarily, like, hate him and his work. It's just nothing we get excited about when we hear it's coming out. Like, after I saw the first Conjuring movie, and then after that, I was out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought, of all those movies, Insidious, I probably would say I like the most. And even then, it's definitely not a perfect movie. Uh, And so going into Malignant, my expectations were fairly, like, middle of the road. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it exceeded those in a a direction uh, down (laughs) that uh, made me love Malignant in a certain way for how, like, fucking horrible it is. Um, (coughs) It was one of those movies that felt like... And this is probably going to age people, and this is something that people don't understand. Well, a lot of, like, younger generation won't, won't understand. It is... There's different routes. It's that movie that you rented 
because you saw all you saw was the cover and you didn't know what to do and it was a horror movie kind of thing or it feels like one of those horror movies that you caught in the middle of the night that you weren't supposed to watch as a kid and the memories of it are embedded so it feels like you had a weird fever dream but not in a good way yeah um the premise of the movie is there's a woman named um, Madison who lives in Seattle. And one night, her... We're not sure if he's a boyfriend or husband or fiancé. It's husband. Husband. Is murdered by some mysterious figure in their house. And then this sets off a whole investigation around the murder. Madison becomes a suspect. Some things are revealed about Madison's past... Like, a possible split personality. Uh, And then when additional people get murdered, Madison is suddenly having that... The the place and the events, like, astral projected into her brain. So that she's witnessing this killer in action, but is, like, paralyzed. Like, sleep paralysis and can't do anything about it. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, which just makes the police think she's even more of a suspect because she's able to recall all these details. Uh, eventually, you get to the truth of the matter, which is that this is... I'm not going to go into too many spoilers yet, but it's a much more complicated situation, we'll say. And uh, Madison does have uh, involvement in it. In a way that uh, I was not fully expecting. Like, I kind of, having watched enough horror movies, you start to kind of predict what's going to happen. But this certainly went in a direction I wasn't predicting. Yeah, this was just... It's really hard to talk about this film without going into spoilers. Oh, we'll go into spoilers in a bit. But it is just essentially... um, It feels like if someone went to a teenager and told them... I want you to write me a horror story. And this and the big plot was the teenager thinking that they were clever and funny and then it's not that great and you kinda wish that they would stop. <laughs> One of the problems with malignant is an inconsistency of tone. Yes. Cause it feels at some points like you want to go, oh, so we're supposed to be laughing during this like ridiculous it's moment. It's really hard. But it's- then there's other moments where it's like no, this is, like, fucking serious. And this is edgy and dark. And then there's moments that feel like The Matrix. Like, tightly choreographed fight scenes with, like, techno music playing. Yeah. It is such a bizarre experience to watch. It really is. Uh, So, we'll kind of go through the plot a little bit. Um, Madison, we said, lives in Seattle... She show one of the problems with the movie is we never get much depth into like who these characters are outside of the plot of the movie, because Madison she shows up in Scrubs. That's the first time we see her. Yeah, she comes home early from work. We never know what her job is. No, we, we see Scrubs, so like I assume, oh, she must be a nurse. That's never addressed again for the rest of the movie. We don't know if she's a nurse. We don't know if maybe she's a a dental hygienist, like. All, you know, any other job that would explain her wearing scrubs is not explained. Um, Then her sister shows up at the hospital wearing a princess outfit 
And it turns out she's a performer at like a children, like a Chuck E. Cheese type place or a like family called, fun center. It's, it is embedded in my brain. It is called Family Planet. But we never see Family Planet and we never see her dressed like that again. And it's never mentioned again for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Except the only thing that's mentioned like kind of repeatedly is that her sister uh, wants to be an actress. And so this is a job where she's able to use her acting. The excuse being as to why she doesn't know or hasn't seen Madison in almost two years has to do with the fact that the boyfriend slash husband had um, kept her Madison away. One of my biggest kind of pet peeves is uh, Madison is the perfect victim. We don't get to know her as a person. Nope. And all we know is that she's this meek person who's gone through such terrible things. And, you know, um, that's it. That's it. Yeah, you can oh, say, like... And she's adopted. It's in some ways like, oh, her character didn't exist until the f- director yelled action. And then suddenly she came into existence. Yes. Uh, she... Two actors, actresses play her. Uh, Annabelle Wallace, who I'm not very familiar with, and I'd looked her up, and I think she maybe has, like, a pre-existing relationship uh, working with James Wan, mm-hmm. uh, and possibly, like, another Conjuring movie or something. Uh, but it was McKenna Grace, who's kind of an up-and-coming teen actress, plays young Madison, and that was one of the moments where I was really, like, stunned by the movie, because it's explicitly said she's playing nine-year-old Madison. Like, on Madison's ninth birthday. Yes. This young woman is obviously like 12 or 13 years old yes. when this is being shot and like as somebody who's taught third grade uh you i'm like that i've never met a nine-year-old that looked like this character it was absolutely ridiculous she's so tall yes and it's not like, you know, you have 12-year-olds that have played 9-year-olds because they're relatively small, baby-faced. Yeah, but she's not. But she looks like a 12, 13-year-old yeah. girl. Especially, like, she's got no, like, baby fat on her. Nope. And it's, like, there's... It's played so serious. And it's supposed to be that she has this imaginary friend. And, like... It's Gabriel. Gabriel. Yeah. And she's talking on a toy phone. But it looks so weird that a 12-year-old is talking on a toy phone. Yeah. Well, they're also trying to, like, get into the um, uh, found footage kind of yes. angle, too. Because we can see home movies, and then there's, like, medical tapes recovered from an abandoned asylum uh, at one point to create, like, oh, look at these artifacts that we found that are slowly revealing things. Uh, and we mentioned Gabriel. Gabriel is this sort of imaginary friend that appears to be the one doing all the murders Mm -hmm. and he's voiced by ray chase who is an american voice actor mainly known for like video games like final fantasy i think anime stuff like one punch man uh but and he sounds like it too though that was one of the things i noticed while watching it was just this sounds like a video game character voice or an anime voice and it's so that type of voice is so jarring in a horror movie like this. Can we also just mention the weird stand-ins for the director and his wife, even though his wife is in the film? So, the detective is Asian. Yes. And then 
the sister who they're having hinting that there's a plot of a relationship is, is an actress. Yes. The director is Asian. Mm -hmm. His wife is an actress. Uh. (laughs) And so that was a stand-in for their relationship. And she, like, stand, like, his... Well, because his actual wife is in the movie. Yes. In- Ingrid Bissou, who it plays like a forensics person. Yes. And she's not very good. Her and, line delivery is really rough. And she's also like kind of like in love with... With the... Ja- yeah, the yeah. Asian cop character. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then there's just weird things in the movie that I found... We talking about like her job was one thing. Another thing that annoyed me was... They introduce un- this underground Seattle. Like, it's a real thing where the original Seattle is basically under the current Seattle. And so it's this, like, ghost town beneath the city. And that is introduced very early on in the movie as a set piece. It's revisited once, and it's n- that's it. That's it. And it just felt like a perfect setting for a horror movie. Like, they, uh, it's all foggy and creepy looking. You have all these buildings where, you know... You expect to see signs of life, but it's devoid of it. Perfect for, like, a horror movie. And it's just barely in the movie at all. It's, yeah, just the entire thing felt like there was a, maybe a lot cut from it, maybe? It it just, it felt like a... I, hate, I don't want to say Jigsaw. <laughs> like well, I mean, he made Saw. <laughs> yeah. Um... It just, it felt like all these pieces of a puzzle that just never came together. And then there's also the influence of Jalo, like, movies mm-hmm. that was, like, you know, the red and blue and, the, and like, the purples and the lighting and then kind of making an excuse as to where that coloring is coming from. Then you have, like, her, like, dreaming quote unquote where she thinks that a death scene is happening and like we're seeing the shift where the camera turns around so it's trying to look cool but there's many times that it's I'm very unaware of like it looked very green screen if I was supposed to be laughing or not well speaking of laughing the women's jail sequence is one of the fucking funniest things I have seen in a film in a long time Uh, because Madison is thrown in a holding cell when they've just realized that something happens that is absolutely batshit crazy um, that immediately points the finger at her, so they lock her up. Uh, before I go further, the thing that happens also has to do with Madison's house, which we mentioned she appears to be a medical assistant of some sort. Mm-hmm. We're not sure if registered nurse, uh, dental hygienist. The house they live in is like the fucking TARDIS from Doctor Who, (laughs) where it's much bigger on the inside, to the point that this moment happens that points the finger at her, but it involves the idea that her living room on the first floor has nothing between it and the attic. So, like, it's a 40-foot ceiling, and something falls out of the attic, and it's crazy. Like, when you think about the architecture of this... It doesn't make any sense. There is yeah. no house in the world that would be designed like this. And her, like, living room is massive. Yeah. It's obviously on a soundstage. But, yeah, it doesn't feel like a real home. So she ends up in jail. When she enters the cell, it's comical in that all of the other female inmates are immediately aggressive towards her. Yeah. There is a, a black 
uh, woman in the holding cell who's dressed up like Foxy Brown or something from a 70s movie. Yeah. And then, um, <coughs> I've always tried, forget her name. She, she was Uma Thurman's, uh, stunt woman, Zoe Bell. She is this mulleted, denim-wearing, like, sort of lead, aggressive female inmate. Because, you know, it's going to be a big action set piece. And this is where the big reveal about Madison happens. So if you haven't seen Malignant, you don't want to know. You don't want to listen to the rest of this. So, uh, Madison had a vestigial twin that grew out of her back, facing the opposite direction. (laughs) And that was Gabriel. Her mother was like a teenager, and the baby was given up for adoption, and it was written down that the mother died in childbirth. Well, Madison got taken to um, an asylum, and it appears that she was there, like, you know, at the same age she was when she was nine years old with her adoptive parents. Yet she has no memory of any of this. And it's not an asylum. It, tur- it They make it look like an asylum, but it, really it's what's like going, a hospital, right? Yeah, a hospital that's... A creepy hospital on the hill somewhere that's supposed to look like an asylum, but it turns out it's supposed to be helping, like, children who, like, had deformities and how to deal with it. But her case is a special case. Because Gabriel can project what he sees into her brain. So she feels as though she's experiencing it. And so the doctors and the nurses at the hospital perform surgery to remove as much of Gabriel as possible. But there's just this little tiny bit of his brain... And his face. So they just cut her skull open and shove it in. And then sew her up. And the opening of the movie, she's like physically assaulted by her husband. And her the back of her head hits the wall. And that awakens Gabriel. So the, the whole time we've been seeing the killer, it looks like this weird like backwards running person. And that's because it is the backside of her. Like she bends her arms and knees backwards and, oh, God. yeah, it's so funny looking and so ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, it is a movie that I would recommend if you want to see just a terrible, laughable horror movie. Like, if you're with a bunch of friends and you're drunk or something, like, you will laugh your asses off at this movie. Yeah. Uh, so, if you saw Malignant and you really loved it, and you want to share your thoughts on it, we'd love to hear. But, uh, yeah, I just, I'm with every movie we ever watch, I'm always like, this is someone's favorite movie. That's just the way it is, right? It's somebody- I think about that all the time. I just, like, there has to be someone, and we'd have to look at the reviews, not mention the names, and just read about people who love a movie that we absolutely hate. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Malignant. It's on HBO Max, I think, maybe for a little while longer. So if you... <laughs> Want to watch it for free, or you because you already pay for HBO Max? Watch it. Uh, otherwise, I just wait till it it's streaming on the platform like normal in a few months. I would not pay to see it, but it is it's worth watching. Well, over the last month and a half to two months, we watched the entirety of The Sopranos. I think it's like eighty six episodes of television. Yes. Uh, and kind of out of preparation for the Many Saints of Newark, but more just because it was a really good show. Uh, and so the Many Saints of Newark just debuted uh, the previous Friday of this recording. We watched it on HBO Max. And what were your initial thoughts about the Many Saints of Newark, a Sopranos tale? I had a lot of problems with it at the end of the day. And this is not... 
from your I mean, from your research, there are, like, mega Sopranos fans, and there's a lot of podcasts about Sopranos, from the people who were in Sopranos, who, from people who just, like, start watching it with friends who've never watched it before, but this movie was a disappointed, uh, disappointment after all the hype that I kept hearing about, how, like, oh, don't worry, um... Michael's, uh, who is like James uh, Gallofini's son, is like he's not making an imitation of <clears> his <throat> father. They've toned him down. It'll be fine. But afterwards, I was just kind of like, uh, what was this? <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest problem with the movie is it's trying to be like four or five different things at once. Yes. And it's two hours, just like a little over two hours. So you think like, well, that's plenty of time. But it's not. Like, it's yeah. still... There are, like, characters introduced that don't serve any purpose or go anywhere. It's a movie that just has, like, a lot of scenes. And then the movie just ends. And there's an attempt at, like, a through line in the story. But it never really comes together, in my opinion. I think, if anything, it was kind of patchy. It's like a quilt that had all these patterns that didn't go well together. Um, when it came to the casting of Christopher's father, I was kind of disappointed that they didn't try to make him look like a little bit more like Christopher. Yeah. And I understand, like, you can't do everything exactly, but they made such a big deal of making, um, like the character, the guy that's playing Silvio, to look like Silvio, even though it was not good. Oh, we'll talk about that. About Holly's character, a guy they put looking... makeup they put, on right, him. But nothing on the guy that's playing Christopher's father. And we'd already seen images that they actually used, you know, the actor's real dad in images to portray the dad to begin with. Christopher's at home, he's looking at pictures of his dad. Uh, and um, I'm not... Here's the thing with Sopranos the series. I'm not saying that they're, they've ever been seamless when it comes to background details, but it was... It felt like, like, we'll talk, like some of the things that didn't make sense to me. Like, there's stuff in there that's good, yeah. but then there's certain things that, like, Silvio, who is played by the actor John Magaro, who I think people might know probably from Orange is the New Black... He's in that. Uh, he plays as almost like he's making fun of Silvio. Because the mannerisms, his facial expressions, it's such... And Silvio is an exaggerated character, but I feel that's very much like Stephen Van Zant's personality kind of coming through. But this just feels like an outright mockery yeah. of Silvio. It feels as if like you couldn't have done what they were doing with uh Michael Gandolfini when they're told him like hey don't imitate your dad what your dad oh, like what we're, we're asking is that Tony became a person later on they couldn't have done the same with Silvio and Silvio felt older than yeah, he was supposed to cuz in the show I got the sense that he and Tony maybe he's a little older than Tony but they were contemporaries cuz I feel like there's even mentions of like um Silvio being and if you hear this music in the background <laughs> we're uh there's someone driving down the street here <laughs> so what a wonderful 
edition. This is just the special for those of you that are listening to the podcast. Uh, those of you who just started listening at the beginning are missing all these special <laughs> secret details that happen. Um, yeah, the, I, for, according to the Soprano show, I got the sense like Sylvia wasn't that much older than Tony, like maybe a few years, but he's a part of um, Dickie Moltisanti's crew, so it made me feel like he was at least maybe mid twenties. So like a decade older than but Tony. I think there was also a problem because um Silvio and Polly were always said to be a part of Johnny's crew, which is like Tony's dad's crew. <clears throat> Are they like after the fact, like after Dickie Moltisanti dies, that's what yeah. they're talking about. Yeah, it's so the there's timeline stuff that like I know Sopranos nerds are gonna complain about. But then story-wise, so I got the sense that this was going to be two things. It was going to be about Christopher's dad, Dickie Moltisanti, yeah. and the Newark race riots. Mm-hmm. And those riots happen in the movie, but they're not what the movie's about. Nope. And it's hard to even say like what this movie is about because there's this whole plot with Dickie Moltisanti and he kills someone that like should cause big problems for him and it doesn't really it just sort of no. just goes away, and it's like it's a murder that is a pretty significant thing to happen. Like this would in the Sopranos show, something like this would be a massive deal. Yeah. Uh, and then there's like it, vignettes with Tony that don't seem to have anything to do with Dickie's story, and are just kind of like, "Hey, look at young Tony slowly becoming the criminal that he's going to become." And then we have uh, Harold, who's a black uh, member or like a he, runner. For, yeah, he's a runner for, for Dickie Multisanti, and so he will beat up other black people in Newark who owe Dickie money, and he makes sure that you know Dick gets his what he deserves, right? But. Uh, so there's, like, all this stuff with Harold that seems to be, like, oh, we're gonna see some sort of parallel with him and Dickie, and there might be, like, a fight between the two, and then there's, like, a really good shootout scene. Yeah. But that whole plot goes nowhere, and there's no... I, like, I don't understand why Harold was in the movie. I have a really, (coughs) um, sneaking suspicion, because... They just announced that uh, David Chase has a first look deal for the next five years with HBO. That possibly we're going to be seeing a, sh- a prequel series about Harold because there's so much that's like left on the table with that character that I felt like I don't. Why is he in this movie? And was this like a backdoor pilot to do that? I don't know. Like it's Leslie um, Adam Jr. Oh, mm-hmm. that was uh, in the original cast of. Uh... Um, Hamilton. Um, that took a long time to get out of me, and he's in. Yeah, he's like it's not a nobody actor. He's but it's a nobody role. Yes. Oh, there's so many nobody roles that should have just been cut down or removed. I'm okay. Like John Bernthal is Johnny. I had a soprano. Like I had such a problem with him to begin with because, okay, so he has a minuscule role in Widows. And it's very minuscule, but it it's enough. He was that in you widows. Like I don't even why, remember him being in widows. Like why he's in there? I can John understand. Bernthal is in widows. Yes. 
For real. Yes, he played like the husband that was abusive to that really tall woman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, um, and so, but in this one, it felt as if, like, he's always hanging on a sentence or an action that he's supposed to do. So all they use him to to do is to read <coughs> a scene that we already saw in the movies. Not in the show, I mean. Yeah. Um, he's, he's not really a character. And then to do something that Tony had mentioned, that him and his sister had mentioned that he had done to his wife, which is a horrendous thing. And during the series, there was talk about the fact that, like, how Tony was a little bit too gentle on his dad when it came to maybe the abuse that he went through. But again, bare, like, Johnny was barely a fucking character in this movie. Yeah. Like, he goes to jail, he comes back, and that's it. Like, we don't see him, like, struggling being, uh, being in the mafia. We don't see him, like, maybe ever thinking he shouldn't be it. It's just, this is what he does, and then... Like, I, Ray Lodo, is that his name is? Leota. Oh my fucking God, why? Why? Like, his plastic surgery is just so bad that any role he plays now is so distracting. His upper lip is so stiff. And I'm supposed to believe that this is a guy in the 1950s or 60s that looks like this. And I can't. I can't, like, at, at, at any point. Because his upper lip does not fucking move. And, like, he's got these, like, brilliant blue eyes. Which I'm like, is this supposed to be, like, Christopher's, like, grandfather? grandfather? Yeah. And then turns out there's a twin? Yeah. And that there's a comment near the beginning about... Because uh, he's Hollywood Dick Moltisanti. And then, like, oh, and his brother were rich. But, like, then he, there's no mention of the brother. And because that's, like, a voiceover line, it makes me wonder if that was added uh, in post because people did not understand that this character was supposed to have a twin brother until he just shows up. Because he does show up, and I, while he's in the movie, I kept thinking, oh, is this, like, uh, Dick Moltisanti's... Uh, like hallucination is this the same thing like with tony and his dreams and the show and there's a moment where it hints that it might be like that but then it leaves it as i guess no it's real there really is an identical twin there is just there's too much going on well then you have uh lost in all the shuffle you have Corey stoll as junior who Who did great yeah and i wanted more from him but because junior is a great character he's just such like a little rat bastard but in this one they just they just made him so pathetic compared to what we're used to, which is a very complex character where you love and hate him all at the same time. Well, he is a pathetic character, but it's like because he doesn't have a lot of screen time. He that's all he is is he's just pathetic, and we don't yeah. get nuance to him. Uh, Vera Farmiga as Livia Soprano, I thought did a great job. Yeah, she did great with what little they gave her to do. I mean, honestly, she just. Like, be- because Johnny Boy just came off kind of bland, she just looks as if, like, the nagging, annoying wife. But there should have been a balance there. Well, I feel like the best scene with her was, uh, it's Tony's school counselor and her talk one-on-one. Yes. And I felt like that made me so much more interested, uh, in that character compared to some of the others in this movie. Yeah, I kind of wish that if they were going to talk about the riots, let it focus a little bit on... Tony and maybe his um, like 
intense relationship with Dickie. It was a person that sometimes he said in the past had wished he had been his father. And, um, it was just, it was a very weird thing. They had this whole thing where, like, Christopher as a baby kept crying when Tony was around, which was weird because later on, like, Christopher in the series talks about how Tony used to, like, you know, take him places and act like his dad. Yeah. So we never got a scene like that. Instead, it's supposed to be, well, babies know something from a beyond when they come. Well, and then, uh, and then you have, like, Michaela de Rossi, who we haven't even talked about, who plays Giuseppe Bina, who's Hollywood Dick's bride that he marries and brings over from Italy. And then she ends up having an affair with Dickie Moltisanti. And, like, I didn't necessarily know what the point of that character was in the story. She doesn't really... Like, she, there are plot points that happen, but I don't understand, like, her arc as a character. There's nothing no, there. She just exists. No, it's supposed to be, exists. like, his father brought her as a bride, and it's supposed to be, like, he's, uh, he's being a jerk. But it's also, like, you don't have an understanding as to why he falls in love with her be- beyond just the fact that she's beautiful. And that's... <coughs> It's kind of hard to deal with because... And she's in a lot of the movie. Yes, and it's kind of hard to deal with, especially with Sopranos, when Soprano does kind of, like, comment as a series um, what it is to have gender stereotypes and also what it is that people look into one another in relationships, how um, Carmela was so complex and was, you know, was an asshole in many times herself, and then we get this character and she's just there. She's shallow. There's yeah. not much to her. There's not much to her and then like there's never a moment where maybe she's like telling Dickie I want to have a child after his whole thing of being like I want a son. Well and then um yeah it's just and the fact that David Chase wrote it and was a producer when it feels like something uh, like, you would expect a Soprano movie from someone who wasn't the creator to make. Yeah. Like, so, because it's so, like, it felt it's like, about the glamour of the 60s. It's very much about the aesthetic. It felt and like lo- fan fiction. Yeah. And there are scenes, again, that should, that should have not been, like, acted out and recorded. There is no reason for us to rewatch, like, Johnny Boy get arrested. Oh, the, like, the amusement park? There was park. no reason because we'd None. already seen that in the show. And instead it And just, they didn't add anything to the story. No, it added that he went to jail, but it was very confusing because it was like in the show we saw that he got released, but maybe there is like oh, it's supposed to be like oh he went to jail with it for it anyways, like it, there there was no reason for that. It just felt like oh, we have a higher budget now so we can film it in a glossier way. And, you know, we're going to have people that never watched the series watch the show. Well, but if, who the hell would do that? But I as I watched this movie, it didn't make me want to rewatch the show. It just kind of, like, sat... I mean, I'd still rewatch the show, though. Yes. You would rewatch the show because you liked it, but the movie... Yeah. Did the movie make you want to rewatch the show? <coughs> well, I would say, what, if... not Let's not even use the word rewatch. If I had not seen The Sopranos, would I be interested in going to watch the series after yes. the movie? No. Because I would just be very confused about, who is this show about? Like, oh, I guess it's about this high school kid, Tony Soprano. But I don't really know who he is after watching this. No, and it's it, it basically just stripped away everything that was very interesting about the Sopranos. Yeah, there's... 
like there, there's some people I've noticed on um, the Reddit Sopranos group that are trying to defend it and going like, oh, it's more complex. I'm like, I don't know about that. It feels, I, think what it, I think there's going to be a ton of scenes on the cutting room floor because yeah. especially when you have an actor like Billy Magnuson, who's not, you know, a marquee name, but he's an actor you're going to recognize and he's playing Polly. And he barely has a line of dialogue in the movie that leads me to believe there, and especially a character like Polly. Oh, I bet there's you know four scenes that are deleted that will be on the DVD release of this movie where you're going to get more with him. Or and I know that you were okay with him being Polly, but I was just annoyed. At the well, end I mean, of he didn't day. really do anything, so it was hard for exactly. me to. Exactly. I wasn't. Was... I couldn't be annoyed by it. I was just neutral. It was like, oh, okay. I, but I thought the stupidest scene was like him at dinner, like putting clear nail polish on his fingers to me that was dumb because like as a person who's painted my nails many times i would not to think about doing it like at the dinner table. Well, i don't know maybe that's like a thing that mobsters would do i don't know that's don't the only know. only thing i could chalk it up to is oh maybe this is like a, a practice a custom it that i'm not aware wasn't of wasn't good compared to the show um, we will talk about the elements that did connect it to the show is the film is narrated at the beginning and the end by Michael Imperioli as the voice of dead Christopher Moltisanti. Yeah. Uh, and th- I liked that part because uh, it implied some like really dark things about the world of The Sopranos, mainly that when you die and go to hell, you're just forced to tell the story of your life over and over. And Christopher also seems to be aware of stuff that happened after he died because he talks about how Tony gave his wife pocket change after he died. So it makes me wonder how much does Christopher know? Uh, And I did read that Carmela, not Carmela, that's the character, but Edie Falco had been brought in to play Carmela in a scene at a cemetery as a way to like frame the story and then they went in a different route, which I think was this voiceover with Christopher. But it, like, the thing is, I would like a little bit of something that takes place, you know, present day about The Sopranos. And with, you know, um, James Gandolfini having died, then if they want to have Tony have died in the, the final episode or died years later, it works either way. But it's like, I like, it's not necessarily that I like the world of The Sopranos, as I like those characters in the world yeah. of The Sopranos. And if you're going to give me characters that I'm supposed to focus on that I have not invested, you know, six seasons worth of time in, then you're really going to have to make me like them yeah. and not have such a scattershot movie that's wanting to just kind of have a bunch of scenes that have some connective tissue, but ultimately don't really say anything important about the ideas of the show nope but yeah so that's what we thought of the mini saints of newark if you have thoughts of your own or agree with us but want to point out some other criticisms you have check out the show notes to see how you can share those thoughts with us Well, that is another episode of the Pop Cold Podcast. I'm hoping that now that we're kind of settled here, these are going to be a lot more regular than they've been in the last month or so. Uh, We are not exactly sure what movies we're going to be reviewing. There's some movies that I hope I'll get a chance to see to be able to review. Uh, But we're just going to kind of review what comes as it comes out. Uh, Next full episode, 
we will be doing some Halloween-themed things. Uh, But otherwise, just keep listening. Make sure you check out the blog at popcult.blog to read uh, reviews we're doing. I know this month here in October, uh, we are watching all of the Halloween movies uh, and going to review them uh, in anticipation of Halloween Kills, which gets released uh, mid-month. Yeah, so just keep listening, keep reading the blog, and we'll be back with you very soon. Well, we watched the newest horror film, I guess is what you'd call it, fantasy film from A24 that was getting a little bit of hype. I don't think it got overhyped. Uh, it was no. called Lamb. It's an Icelandic film directed and written by uh, Valdemar Johansson. Uh, the most notable actor in the film is Numi Rapace, who plays the lead role of Maria, and she's joined by... Hilmer Snar Gunason, which I'm sure I've got that name wrong, who plays her husband Ingvar, and then Bjorn Heiner Haraldson, who plays Peter, uh, Ingvar's brother and Maria's brother-in-law. Uh, the premise of the film is that Maria and Ingvar are sheep farmers living in an incredibly rural area of Iceland, mm-hmm. and one of their sheep gives birth in the spring. And there is something incredibly different about that lamb and disturbing. And it has a very uh, profound effect on Maria and her husband. And when her brother-in-law, Peter, shows up, uh, he is immediately disturbed by what he sees. Yeah. So, first of all, just what were your... Going into the movie, I know I... My expectations, I wasn't trying to set them too high... But I was excited to see it. It seemed from the marketing that it was going to be an interesting film. I lowered my expectations after I saw a TikTok of someone saying they did not like the film. Well, I know. um, And that's not something that I normally would do. Mm -hmm. But I think it also had to do with the fact that um, the trailers were pretty ambiguous, which is fine. I'm fine with ambiguous. It was a really good trailer. Yeah. But... I have to be honest, um, the actress... Uh, Numi Rapace? Rapace. I don't think she's good. I've never seen her in a film that I've actually liked. Yeah, and I've seen her in quite a number of films at this point, and I'm starting to think now that if I see her cast as a lead in a movie, I'm not going to like it. And I don't know what it is, but she just... I'd... She doesn't really display that much of emotions. For me, I'm like, in a movie like this, it's Icelandic, so there's like a different cultural sensibility. Which is fine. I wouldn't necessarily... And it's... The environment is very cold and neutral, and so... Much like the scenery. Yeah. (laughs) And so, yeah, it was... I think a lot of people are comparing it, from what I've seen online, to It Comes at Night. Yeah. Which I still think was a great movie, but the expectations of the audience versus what they got has been very different. Same thing with Lamb. A lot of people thought they were going to get, like a midsummer type horror movie and it's not a horror movie it's a dark fantasy yeah we really don't get this underlining tension that you would expect so because maria and uh, ingvar just kind of accept the weirdness without question and it's only peter that really shows us like that this is not normal yeah, and I think it also has to do with the fact that it feels as if like it was leaving us to pick up something that we didn't know. So 
Um, spoilers for the film. They take away uh, a baby lamb from the mom, and the mm-hmm. mom is like outside. The mother, crying. the mother okay. sheep. The mother sheep is outside crying for her child, and um, they're watching a film, and she's like, "What did I miss?" And she's and he says, "Oh, something about fairy tales." And, and so like me, a, yeah. I'm like, that was a hint of what was going on. We don't get like, and I'm not saying give me an exposition, but. There's never a moment of being like when the brother came. It's like this reminds me of some weird story or some weird thing that we saw. Well, there's, there's like a lot of unspoken back history that, even paying very close attention to the movie, I still felt like I was having to work too hard to get to. You don't. There's a lot of stuff because, that they don't tell you, but you're supposed to pick up on. Well, because like, they never mention like a miscarriage or infertility directly, do they? No, but, but I feel like it's implied. It is implied because they already had a baby. Um, they like, did have a crib, yeah. They had a crib, and then uh, Maria goes to a small grave, and it has the name that they have named this lamb child after Ada, and um, we're supposed to be implied that it was a still death. The only reason I know it was a still death was because stillborn. Yeah. Stillborn was because I had to look up the Wikipedia, <coughs> and um, it explains it explicitly. It explains that. The but the whole film, thing. Uh, like even from the trailers, I got the sense this was going to be a movie about like female fertility and reproduction in some way. And then when Peter shows up, his introduction is a very odd scene. That I'm still not 100% on what was going on there. Because we learned that he was like a member of a band. And it looks like the band member was like, in the well, he music was, video who was dropping him off. Yeah, because he's, he's driven out to the middle of nowhere in the trunk of a car. And yes. dumped there by two women and a man. Mm-hmm. And then later we see a music video from his early days, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it looks like the people that dumped him there. Yes. And there's never... And there's an implication that he's done this before. He's been... He's come back home after he's made some trouble. Yeah. Will ask for money or gets money and leaves. And this, he makes and, sexual advances yeah, there's towards se- Maria. There's definitely. Times. And it's she kind of like returns it at a certain point. No, she. Well, it's. Well, there's like. The sense I got was that there might have been a point in the past where she would have gone with him because he doesn't. No, I didn't pick up on I that. I definitely picked up on that. It I felt think... more like she was just telling him, like, stop doing this, like, that she had known him for a while. And... But I feel like when they were younger, but once again, see, that's where there's this yeah. sense of there's something that happened in the past that is never, and I'm okay with movies being ambiguous. I prefer movies that are ambiguous, but I do like there to be enough meat on the bones so that I can start to make some assumptions or inferences yeah. About what happened. Um, I thought there's a reveal moment of the lamb that they have adopted, Ada. Yes. Uh, and it needs CG. Like, basically, like, halfway through the movie, we fully see what's going on yeah. with Ada. And I didn't think the CG held up in every scene. It was really no. rough in some places. I mean, I think the thing is, they also didn't make it enough for us to care that much about Ada to begin with. Yeah. You're only supposed to feel a certain degree because this is a child. There was no explanation of, 
How much does she understand? How much does she not understand? Do we ever see did she her? speak near the she end? She never speak. speaks, but she, she acknowledges she what they're saying. She nods and acknowledges, yeah. but there's never a moment of maybe her attempting to talk. There was a sad moment in where she sees something, runs into the house, stares at her reflection, and realizes she's different. Yes. And, and then later when it, we see what she saw, we realize why that reflection was such an important moment in the story. Yes. It was her making a connection with something. Making a connection. Um, not trying to make an attempt to communicate with the, with the parents, but we never really see her communicate her needs or wants before. So this is not... She's so passive. Yes. And it's... If she's, you know, a toddler, essentially, is what she is, it made me go like, so what... Like, I don't understand what her goal or, like, what is her drive? Is she just a child? Because if she's just a child, then I expect her to, like, show a want towards food or affection or play. Yes. But she just kind of is present in scenes and and doesn't really do anything. Yeah, the only time that we maybe have some indication that she has these feelings were when her father... uh, Her adopted father calls her over to be like, hey, lay your head on, on my chest... As I fall asleep. And she does so. And then later on something happens in the movie. Which I look we're trying really hard not to spoil this movie. That she repeats that action. Showing that she has become attached to. Um, Her father. These parental figures. But it's also. It was just lackluster. Yeah it felt like. It had all the elements of something. That I would have really liked. But then it painted in such broad strokes. And the characters were kept at such a distance from us that at the end, I didn't really understand what the movie was trying to communicate. What was that film that, like, we saw that had the girl from Broad City in it? Or she was... Um, I cannot remember, but it was an A24 movie. Yes. Yes, I remember. It and it was, like yeah, yeah. The, these both films were trying to talk about something. One went to the extreme and the other went to like the bare minimum. <laughs> um, yes. I remember that because it was Ilana Glazer. Yes. Right? And yeah, we, we watched that this spring. And false po- false positive, positive Pierce Brosnan. And I think, yeah, both of them are, and I, I'm someone who... You know, as much as I despise Roman Polanski, I'll still say that Rosemary's Baby is, like, a fantastic horror yeah, movie. Yeah, but it was also based on a book. But, and, like, it does a great job of communicating that metaphor as, you know, pregnancy as this terrifying experience for a woman. Yeah. Of all these unknowns and... Well, a, like, even Alien does a bit. Yeah. <laughs> and so then when you look at a movie like False Positive or Lamb which are explicitly about themes of motherhood. Like, that is... The film is screaming that this is a movie about this. And I walk away from Lamb and I go, well, what did it tell me about motherhood? And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Because the, the final events of the movie, she does, like, technically abandon her family, but it's a fake abandonment, and she heads right back to them. Yeah. So it's not sort of like, oh, and this was her punishment for leaving. Because she no. wasn't ever really going to leave. It was no. all a, a, a ruse. And so her intention was always to come like back to her family. something bad would have happened anyways had she been there or not no. been there. And then there's this force that is introduced. You is hinted at at the beginning of the movie and fully seen at the end of the movie. So here's the thing that like is kind of insane that um, we had no indication of in the movie. 
So the movie was written with the director and an um, Icelandic writer as well. Oh, poet, yes, yeah. So it's like two guys, which I'm not saying that's yeah. a bad thing, but because like Liana Glazer wrote, co-wrote her. Yeah, false positive. Uh, it was positive still not good. Still not good. But she's also never been pregnant. Actually. No, she's pregnant uh, now. now. Okay. I think she gave birth. It's not. I think it more has to do with the fact that with um, with that movie, it felt like very turfy at some points. Um, well, it just felt very like hipster New York kind and of. And also, she just positive. was not good as an yeah, actress yeah. at all in that film. Um, with this film, so I was reading the Wikipedia, and the sheep mom has a name. And then when Maria has that dream, where she like sees like this like sheep there, and it seems like really upset. And at first, you're almost thinking, like, does the sheep have, like, a slit thing in his throat? But it's really just the fur and the breathing. And the, <laughs> I read, that is the sheep's brother that is, like, saying that, like, indicating that something bad's going to happen. But it's never explicit. Yes, in the so yeah. it's yeah. all I've, these yeah. visual, like, it was reading the Wikipedia that I knew about this. And I kind of knew what was going to happen in the film, which, spoilers to me, are not a problem. Spoilers, I'm okay because sometimes I want to see if someone's like, oh, so and so, this happens. I want to see how it happens. Yeah, because spoilers are often like a fragment. Yes. And if you see the whole, even if you're something spoiled, the whole should work. Yeah. yeah. And so there's never a moment that they're afraid of someone taking away their child. They're kind of so secure at the fact that they're so isolated from everyone else. There's never a concern about how this is going to work because... There's no conflict. There's no conflict Until, like, Peter shows up and then, like, that conflict just dissolves pretty quickly. Dissolves pretty quickly. Or is kept minor. And it's also, there's never a question of, like... So we see Ada, like, they're basically participating in her birth. And when Peter shows up, she's essentially a toddler going into, like, four or five years old. And, you know, fully walking... And you're kind of confused as to what the time lapse is. Cause I, I think it's still within the first year of her life. So the thing is, like, you would think that even if there's not going to be an outside element of someone coming into the house, like, saying, maybe someone's like, I want to see your production of sheep and them hiding her. Mm-hmm. Um, or, like, oh, I, I want her to have friends, but how do we do that? Or they have Ada, like, do not let her near the other sheep for whatever reason. There yeah. is never any of this, and there is never a talk of them being, oh, she's growing up so fast, what will that mean? Because sheep live X amount of lives, that means... Will she, yeah, die Will sooner. she die, da, 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 or calling a, a doctor and maybe, I don't know, killing that doctor, because the doctor's like, I'm gonna... Yeah, because, like, maybe she gets sick at some point, and they don't know how to deal with that. They don't know, do they use... Human medicine, do they use, yeah, you know... there's nothing uh, of that. Yeah. It's just like, they're like, oh, we're happy, so we need to keep doing this. Well, yeah, it's just, yeah, it felt like there was a brief conflict with Peter when he sees what's going on and he's disturbed by it, and then that's diffused. And then they, like, kind of force introduce the whole his attraction to Maria thing as to create another conflict, and that kind of diffuses and it diffuses and then, because like maria is obviously not interested and the brother is not disturbed at all like the brother you just are sort of like oh well <laughs> yeah like peter like sleeps in the barn like 
because the night before and he witnesses some stuff but he sleeps in the barn so there's never a moment of them there wasn't even surprise to that see he was him. there yeah it was like oh he does this all the time and well then whatever. the the ending to me because there's this it's basically like a deus ex machina ending where you know this thing comes out of nowhere and concludes the story and so i i think about that as sort of was the message of the film about this sort of the cold neutrality of like nature and how you can think that you've had your life planned and you think things are going your way. And then out of nowhere, this element can just disrupt and destroy everything. And that, cause it, it didn't feel like it, there was a sense that they were, you know, going against the will of like natural order yeah. for sure. But the thing that shows up at the end is responsible for starting all of this so I don't understand, like, that interrelation of if you're destroyed by the entity that started all of this and the implication is that, oh, you are – you have transgressed by <laughs> taking this child, this lamb. Okay, well, you're the one who created it and then wandered off anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, I, just, yeah, I didn't understand, like, what it was trying to do. Of, like, you know, there was never a, like, oh, there's a folk tour that, like, folk tale, like, folklore that, like, this will happen. And, you know, uh, once the child is of a certain age, like, the parent will come in and grab it. Or, you know, this is the type of luck that will happen or you cursed your family if you do this there was just like oh okay and there's never a moment of them going like hey should we keep this should is this normal like is there the rules of the world were not defined very well yeah and i'm okay with art films that like to be experimental but it even experimental films establish some sort of like this is the context in which the story exists and we don't know if like there's some weird like Icelandic thing that has It could to be cultural, yeah, it, for sure. But it it for an international audience it just left you like askew. It's just kinda yeah. like, yeah, go go fuck yourself. Yeah, and But uh, shot gorgeously. It's a beautiful looking movie it's, though. It's a great looking movie. It's uh but that's that's just it, it that's what yeah, it is. It's a lot it's of a pretty images, but no substance. With um, actors that like, or at least too cryptic. Yeah. To really be like, I have even though I'm like, oh, I bet if I went back to it, maybe I could find more things. I was like, eh, my enjoyment during the watching of the film was so low that I have no interest in revisiting it. Yeah. And there's other there's a lot of films where like that hasn't been the case where I've been like, oh, I don't understand that, but there was some like pull. That that intrigued me. Like, there are films that I could be like, you know, we talk about, like, The Green Knight and how I didn't have the same feelings as you mm-hmm. did. But I could maybe go, like, maybe I need to go sit back and watch this film. I have no urge to sit through Lamb again. So that was our review of Lamb. Check out the show notes to see how you can share your comments, maybe your uh, excitement over the movie or mutual disappointment. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. <laughs>